This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, August 3rd, 2023 edition, and we are well into the second month of the third quarter. Summer is moving along fast, and there's a lot of news. So pretty much every day now, especially during earnings season, a lot of market gyrations, some companies moving up uh, strongly, others moving the other way. But those little gyrations can be a distraction, can be a distraction to your overall strategy and understanding exactly what's happening in the market. And that's what we're here to help you with, is to inform you, give you data and perspective, developed with more than 20 plus years of investment experience, and to help you help eliminate the counterproductive habits that hold so many people back from really maximizing their capital. And we have a lot of topics today to discuss that and shed light on the ways that, or the pitfalls that many fall into. And I love those. I, it, protecting your capital is just as important as growing your capital. So you have to do both. If you are only focused on the reward, you take your eye off the risk. If you focus too much on the risk, you take your eye off the reward. So it's balancing both. And that's what we are here to help you with. And when you do that properly, it enables you to take that next step and then that next step and that next step on your journey to what everyone's goal is, which is financial freedom. Now that works and, and uh, looks differently for everybody. All depends on your life goals, your lifestyle goals. And this is an hour of opportunity for you. Opportunity to submit your finance and investment questions that will help guide the show. You are the driver of the show, not me, not Steve, not Luke. It's you with your questions. So I'm ready to tackle them right now, but you have to call. It's our Invest Talk phone line, and it never closes 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 888 chart. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this headline. The nation's biggest banks are gearing up for more consumer struggles. What does that mean, and will that come to fruition? So we're going to look at that story. Also, Crowd Street. Crowd Street. This is one of the largest real estate crowdfunding platforms out there. And... The Wall Street Journal did a deep dive on the deals that they pitch. Remember, they are middlemen. That's how these things work. And there's been a major, major red flag with one of them. Basically, 
they were funneling money to a quote unquote investment opportunity that basically stole the money. And it kind of speaks to the due diligence process or lack thereof of those at Crout Street and how much does that, what does that say about the industry as a whole? Because there's definitely been some rumblings in the past about uh, problems. So I wanted to highlight that because I do get regular questions when I do portfolio reviews. I see some people, you know, they have a little bit of money over at CrowdStreet or Fundrise or some of these other large ones. And I always say it's usually not the best place to be, but this is another example of why. And what I really like about this is it's not just focusing on this one deal. It's focusing on the, the Wall Street Journal analyzed hundreds of deals that they have pitched. So we're going to look at that. Also, in connection with that, because usually those crowdsourcing real estate platforms, they sell commercial real estate, you know, deals in commercial real estate development. And in relation to that, we're going to look at the malls, malls that have been around since the 80s. Remember in the 80s, 90s, malls were a big thing. Not, no, not anymore. And what does that mean for the real estate prices and the knock-on effect for any funds or companies related to that part of the market? Also, we know Fitch downgraded the U.S. credit rating. And they highlighted a political climate that is more fractured than ever, more polarized than ever. But what is bipartisan, which is, is, is spending money. And we're going to look at the fiscal situation, the fiscal trajectory that we're on and what that might mean for policy going forward. So as you can see, I have a action-packed show for you today. We're going to get to some voice bank questions. One is on Borg Warner and the other on Enphase Energy. And of course, your live calls as well, most importantly, at 8899 chart. Let's take a quick look at the market today. It was a modestly negative day after the sell-off yesterday. The broad market was down anywhere from a half to a quarter percent, depending on which index you're, you're looking at. And we are we have Apple earnings after the bell, or we had Apple earnings after the bell. It's down a little bit, but major. But most importantly, we have the jobs number out tomorrow, so that will be, uh, I think, a bigger driver, and probably why you didn't see a big movement in the market today. All right, let's pivot over to our first listener question now. It's Nick in Manhattan Beach looking at CLS. Um, hope you're doing well. Um, calling out, calling in about Celestica Incorporated. Um, it, w it was, historically, it was a manufacturing subsidiary of IBM, got mm -hmm. spun out and acquired by a PE company. Recently, the PE company finally exited after about 20 years. Um, the business uh, today, largely, I guess I would, I would call them sort of the, the physical labor, the, the, imp the implementer, the, 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 the physical you know, manufacturer, um, designer, tester, and implementer of like server racks and uh, hyperscaler server farms. Mm -hmm. um, their big, their big uh, customers, Google, and they're seeing revenue growth, sales growth, um, obviously income growth as well, free cash flow growth from uh, the efforts to build out these AI server farms. Um, there's a lot of CapEx that's coming their way mm -hmm. from a variety of companies, Google included. Um, it's historically been a pretty low-margin company. 
Um, but I think uh, their profits have been increasing and are expected to uh, over the next 12 months. Um, they've, they've been pop this stock has been rising recently and, and popped on earnings um, at to, to about a decade high. I'm actually taking that as a bullish signal as a breakout. Mm-hmm. And um, I recently bought some shares and wondering what you think if I should buy more. Well, I like the space that it's in. Uh, like you said, there is a lot of CapEx within uh, that space. But also, you know, they have a fairly diversified business. Uh, they're into robotics, uh, semiconductors, display technologies. Uh, so they're aerospace and defense, industrial health technology, etc. So I like that longer term, they have a consistent business, consistent growth and in, in profits. And so I'm, I'm a fan of that. Now, it's interesting that it did rally pretty significantly over the past week, uh, assuming that was on, on earnings news. And it was, uh, they had revenue growth up 13%, earnings growth up 25%. But it looks like the analysts continue to actually downgrade total earnings expectations for this year and next year. So that's a bit of a worry. Uh, but even at these levels, you're talking about 10 times forward earnings. I don't think that's that's too bad. So uh, and then the profitability picture looks pretty solid. Now, I would say long term, the return equity is usually high single digits on average, maybe it dips up into the low teens. So uh, I don't love that it's rel- that relatively low, but they don't have a lot of debt, which I, I, I like. I like the fact that they don't have a lot of debt. They're taking their cash flow, they're buying back shares. So that's pretty smart. No dividend, but once again, they're taking that extra cash flow buying back shares. So uh, it's a bit overbought in the near term, probably needs to consolidate, but I like what you're looking at and I think it's a, a solid place to, to be. And uh, maybe wouldn't add right here, but on a pullbacks, I think this is a, a good small cap name, very small $2.5 billion market cap. Now, as we head to a break, let me tell you what video feature we are producing. It's called the Invest Stock Sector Spotlight and it's free right now over on YouTube. The second episode is available now and it talks about the energy sector. And as you know, the energy sector is very volatile, especially with ongoing war in Ukraine and in the wake of the fallout from the COVID crisis. And there are many pitfalls to avoid in the energy space, as well as potential opportunities that are starting to reemerge from their year-long consolidation pattern. But you have to be informed. So head over to our YouTube channel and check out the new Talk Sector Spotlight on the energy sector. Right now, the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. 
It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, just had a question on in-phase energy. That ticker symbol is E-N-P-H. All right, E-N-P-H, this is N-phase energy. And this is in a strong downtrend. And I would absolutely pass on this name. It's a price sales is still, even after dropping significantly from its highs, its high was around, what, $340 per share recently. And now it's at 140. I think there's still a long ways to go. Definitely below $100 per share, has a lot of debt in its balance sheet, and they're planning to issue 50, about 52,000 more shares. And I would absolutely pass on this name. The, this is for everyone else. Enphase designs, develops, and sells home energy solutions for the solar photovoltaic. I, I hate that word. Uh, and industry, the solar industry. And it continues, like I said, in a downtrend. Uh, the growth is slowing dramatically. The cost of solar is going up. And remember, the solar was very easy to finance when interest rates are very low. And now the cost of capital is going up, has gone up. And that's why you're seeing it become a lot more expensive to finance these very, very expensive solar systems. Put a rooftop solar system in your house costs, what, $50,000, $100,000? Most people don't have that cash or don't want to spend that right up front. So they finance it or maybe they lease it. Either way, it's it's not going to do very well in this environment. And you can see that with this whole sector. And so I'm passing on Enphase. It needs to be well below $100 per share. 60? That's where I would think about it. $60 per share. All right. Thanks for the call. Now, our main focus point is in regards to what the big banks are doing and what they're signaling with setting aside loan loss reserves. And if you look at JP Morgan, the bellwether of the large banking conglomerate, uh, I guess, duopoly, no, oligopoly, however you want to say it, there are a handful of very large banks, strategically important banks, and they dominate the market. And what they do with lending, what they do with their balance sheet is very important for the global economy. And so when they set aside basically balance sheet to deal with defaults, that has a knock-on effect on lending. So after the break, we're going to talk a bit about what, how they are treating their balance sheets and the loans that they have that loan loss reserves they have set aside to cover potential losses going forward. Now we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank or if you're listening via the live stream on AM1220 in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART.
For investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations! You've found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Invest Talk. Steve and Justin welcome your questions anytime on the Invest Talk listener line. 888 99Chart. Now, before the break, we touched a bit on how important the balance sheets of these large banks are for the global economy and their ability and willingness to lend. And JP Morgan came out with earnings recently, and their second quarter profits beat expectations, but they did set aside about $2.9 billion during the second quarter to cover potential bad loans. And that was well higher than the $1.1 billion that they set aside in the same quarter last year. So over double the amount. Now, Wells Fargo also reported earnings on Friday, set aside about $1.7 billion for loan losses in the second quarter. That's triple what it was just a year ago. And it, it just shows that these banks are starting to, they have the best data. They see the, the payments that they're consumers are making on their loans you know are they paying back all of their credit cards each month right the entire balance or are they just paying the minimum and when you have data across all of them you know that hey if you pay only the minimum for x period of time that hey that means they're probably headed towards a default and so this underscores a lot of anxiety about the second half of the year a lot of economists expect us to tilt into a recession I still think that's probably pushed off until the beginning of next year. And if you pull Wall Street analysts on individual companies, they still expect profits to grow in the second half. Modestly, but they still expect it to grow. And that's rare to see a recession during times of profit growth. Now, they could be wrong. And as time goes on, we'll certainly see how they revise those. But businesses are feeling pressure from investors to keep prices high and cover their own costs. Now we're gonna get more details from American Express. They're a, a big bellwether to see what exactly they are planning to, or what, what are they doing with loan losses. They have an even more, they're even more hyper-focused on what's happening with the higher end consumer, because that's most of American Express's uh, customers. Now Delta Airlines, which partners with Amex, they see travel demand remaining robust, so that's one kind of subsector that's pretty strong. Now, FactSet looked at 15 banking industry companies, and they said they set up about $9.9 billion to cover losses from souring loans in the second quarter. That's more than double from a year ago. And if that comes to fruition, then it would mark the highest amount since the beginning of the pandemic and the third highest in five years. So there's a lot of at least, I guess, baked in where the expectations are pretty, are pretty high for defaults. So maybe that's setting up for a positive surprise if the consumer remains resilient. And we know the consumer is still getting a, a lot of money for their cash in the, on the sidelines. They're uh, receiving uh, much higher Social Security checks if you're an older American collecting Social Security. And so the economy is still fairly resilient. And that's what uh, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon is saying is that the balance sheet overall remains healthy and consumers are still spending, but at a slower pace. 
and he sees the labor market softening, but overall solid. And we're going to get more data for that tomorrow. So I think you're, you're just kind of waiting for really the jobs market to break. When the jobs market breaks, that's when you really have to worry. Uh, but it seems like so far the big banks are battening down the hatchets. Uh, is that, what you, is that what you say? It? Yeah, batting down the hatchets to see uh, to see if uh, that comes to fruition, if there are more job losses ahead. Let's head over to Ben in San Mateo, and let's talk about treasuries. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Justin, regular listener here. Um, I wanted to ask you, I'm kind of on the fence. I'd like to lock in a one-year treasury with some cash I have. Okay. And, uh, you know, the rates are very good right now. Yeah. Um, Let's call it 5.3 just for the discussion mm -hmm. uh, yield for a year, which is good for me. I like that. Living in California with the state and local tax deduction and everything, it's kind of nice. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm seeing that, you know, three-month treasuries are about a 10 basis points higher. And the reason I'm kind of on the fence thinking about maybe buying the three-month treasury is because with the volume of treasuries that the Federal Reserve is planning to issue in the next quarter or two, I can only imagine – that yields will have to go up. So I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I feel like I should buy the shorter term and wait for yields to go up in the meantime. And then when that matures, you know, then get in uh, for the one year. Or am I trying to play the yield too hard? What, what's your advice on that? I think you're trying to play it too hard, especially those shorter term treasuries. And one year is still short term. You know, I think the issue with the, the issuance of, of the debt is more going to be on the long end of the curve because there's a lot of money on the sidelines like yourself uh, in money market funds and just cash in the sidelines that are going into these shorter term instruments. And there's plenty of capital for that. I, I think the issuance problem is going to be if they lean too hard on those longer dated issues. So I think the short term market is pretty pretty efficient uh, and there's that not much lack of liquidity there's a lot of liquidity because there's a record amount of uh, money in in the money market accounts and so i would go one year i would take a little bit of haircut because remember there's you could easily be six months from now and that's what the market's kind of pricing in nine months from now the fed's starting to cut rates and so locking in that 5.3 i think is is probably smart i wouldn't worry too much about issuance on the short end of the curve all right now we're heading into a break We'll call with your questions now at 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Hi, Andrew from New Hampshire. Thank you for your show. I have a question about your updated view on Big Lots, capital B I G is symbol. It's down quite a bit since you were last asked about it. And I appreciate an updated view from you about that. Thanks. Take care. All right. Looking at big lots and this is a discount retailer, which historically has very high profitability, but 
has struggled mightily as of late. Lost $6 a share last year, $9 a share expected this year, and $6 again next year. Now, the dividend that it's paying is very likely to be eliminated, so don't think you're going to get a dividend out of it. And it is struggling, obviously, with its debt load. Now, they're doing some things like sale leaseback, which means that you know they have struggled to get their business back onto strong footing. If you look historically, its return on equity has, you know, pre-pandemic was in the 20% range. Even its return on assets, pretty strong consistently around 10%. Very good. But since the pandemic, it's really struggled. And that's the issue here is that it's failed to get its inventory back on track, uh, inventory uh, over accumulation and it has a good amount of debt. Now, the, they bought back some shares. Now that it's down so dramatically, the question is, was that prudent to do so? Uh, or will they be able to get their true business back on track in order to make that worthwhile? If they can, then that was a smart move. Or it was blindingly stupid, and they should have taken that money to shore up their balance sheet. It's going to resolve one way or the other. And now technically it has improved. It's now above the 100 day moving average, but just barely. And it's not firmly above that, uh, meaning I, I'm not comfortable yet to say technically it's improved. It's improving, but not to a level to where I'm super stoked on it yet. Now, once again, I think it will, if it can get through this time, get back on its feet and it would probably be a huge mover from here. Right, trading at $9.69. If it can find some semblance of how well it operated pre-2000, call it 19, this stock will easily head back into the 40s, 50, $60 range. That's if they can really avoid bankruptcy. And that's really the bet here. It's a huge bet either way. I think they do, but it's very high risk very high risk and they haven't truly been able to turn their business around in a large way. Now it's not getting worse. It has been improving since middle of last year, but not dramatically, not dramatically to make that worry of a bankruptcy gone. So I like that you're looking at something that's kind of down and out and has, has a history of strong profitability, but you have to be willing to take high risk and don't think you're getting that dividend, okay? Because that dividend is going to be need, needed to keep their balance sheet solvent. All right. Now let's talk a bit about some more, so we call it debt, but we're talking about the crowdfunding real estate platforms. And there are some large ones. Fundrise, Diversify Fund, Equity Multiple, Yield Street, Realty Mogul, as well as CrowdStreet. Those are some of the biggest ones. And one of the biggest, uh, and, and, and what you've seen recently from CrowdStreet is that $63 million that they've raised have gone missing. Customer cash, gone. Okay, and that is just a, it just shows how there's a lack of due diligence here of the deals that they are pitching to investors. And that's what they are. Remember, you're not investing with CrowdStreet or any of these other 
crowdsourcing platforms, you are investing with a fund that they are simply the middleman for. They are the salesman for. Okay. Now, CrowdStreet raised $4 billion for property developers over its history. But Wall Street Journal, with their analysis, shown that many of the deals, most of the deals have fallen short. And due to this recent, call it fraud, not necessarily by CrowdStreet itself, but fun that it's been touting, due to that, the CEO has been ousted of CrowdStreet. Now, this is a deal by Nightingale Properties, and it raised money for office buildings in Atlanta and Miami, and they filed for bankruptcy last month. And there's likely going to be some people going to jail. But there were a lot of red flags. One was that the developer admitted to bad deals in their track record that they were showing to investors. And some interesting parts of their arbitration clause, like it could be settled by a rabbinical courts. So a rabbi, I don't know about that. CrowdStreet is one of the largest of several platforms that allow small investors, just 10, 15, $25,000 to invest in large projects hotels, commercial real estate deals of all different kinds, office buildings. And guess what? Crowd, CrowdStreet, Fundrise, all these, they get a fee from this, okay? And they've sponsored more than 770 deals and raised, like I said, more than $4 billion. But Wall Street Journal reviewed 104 of these deals that were completed. And developers fell short of funds that they asked, uh, when, when they did, they invest, asked investors to pony up even more, put good money after bad. And they helped raise cash for firms that lied about its track record according to the SEC and the Justice Department. Now they found that more than half of these investments promoted on CrowdStreet failed to meet the return targets. And hundreds of, of users lost $34 million on 19 deals. That's as of July. And a dozen of those deals lost nearly 100% of investor funds. Remember, look, you're only looking at 104 of these deals. So 19 drastically underperformed. A dozen of them lost all of it. More than 20 deals did outperform projected earnings, but that's only 20%. And there's obviously a lot that are still outstanding. And it often takes three years for people to realize any gains. Now, one interesting one is MG Capital. And in their offering materials, the firms had overseen two funds that returned four times the S&P over the last 10 years. And they promised 100% protection from loss. They raised $1.8 million from CrowdStreet on 23 different investors. But they've only recovered about a third of their money. And in 2021, the SEC and the Justice Department charged MG Capital and its managers with securities fraud. And they pled guilty, sentenced to 60 months in prison. Now, the, the main one, Nightingale, where they don't know where the money is, they promised 28% return among the highest on the platform. And once, once again, probably going to lose it all. Why? Because they didn't use escrow accounts, which is pretty common in real estate deals. And so it just shows you the lack of due diligence here. They're just after those fees. They don't care if you make money. 
they just want to raise the money for these funds who are paying them a big cut. So, uh, you know, what Warren Buffett says, when the tide goes out, you see you swimming naked. I think in a lot of ways, you're going to see that in the crowdfunding real estate space. And I, that's why I would say, if you want just broad exposure to commercial real estate, there are plenty of public REITs that you can go buy. You don't need to pl play with these private REITs or these crowdfunding real estate sites or anything like that. You don't even need 10000 You need a couple hundred dollars. You can go buy a REIT right now uh, on, on, a, on a public exchange. And you can focus on the industry that you want. And you know you have some track record to what they're doing that's governed. Okay? So... Simply stay away from these crowdfunding sites. All right, let's go to Paul in Sacramento. Wants to talk about AI. Oh, hi, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, sure. I, I uh, have a balanced portfolio. I just want to—I uh, have very little exposure to anything that I hold that's, that's AI oriented. But I'm—I'm I'm bullish going forward, and just wondering if you have any suggestions on how I could, or what what best timing-wise to get into to uh, to the AI uh, investment you know, that part of my investment. Well, the first thing is timing wise is not now, <laughs> right? Um, you almost never want to get into a theme, a theme, which is what you're talking about. You're talking about a theme. You never want to get into that when everyone's talking about it. History says that's the worst time to do it because that's when everyone has their money in. And usually the market overshoots to the upside uh, on expectations. And it's extremely rare for those expectations to come to fruition. They usually disappoint the wildly lofty expectations of whatever the next innovative technology is. Just look at cryptocurrency, the most recent one, right? Just look at everything that happened with COVID and, you know, Zoom stock, for example. You know, I think it's a, an easy recent example. When Zoom was taking over the world and everyone's going to work from home and everyone and their mother, what did they do? They bought the work from home stocks and they bought Zoom and then Zoom went, Zoom zoomed from $70 all the way up to over $600. Well, guess where it's at now? $70. So the vast majority of people got hosed because they bought the craze. Now, is Zoom a, a better buy now? Absolutely. You know, at least it's reasonably priced. And it just shows you that the whole craze around the space was overblown and the expectations were far higher than reality. And AI is exactly the same thing today. Exactly. Now, is Zoom a good company? Is it gonna ha is, is it gonna have nice probably long term profits? Is it good at the right price? Yes. It's a solid business. Does it really have a secret sauce? Not really. It's video conferencing. A lot of companies do it. So AI, and, and, and that's a little more clear cut, right? In, in the technology, AI is you know, somewhat nebulous right now. Who's the leader? How's it going to evolve? What hardware is going to be needed both today and in the future? How's it really going to be used? Is it how much is a gimmick and how much is real application? There's still a lot to be figured out there. And so it's even more reason to study the industry, educate yourself, understand where it's headed, and guess what? 
three years from now, it's going to be probably a lot more clear where it's headed. And probably every single one, single one of those names will be a lot cheaper. And you're going to have better opportunities when no one's really talking about it, when it's underneath the surface. Remember, when, it see, when you see headlines about a particular sector, or everyone's talking about it, that's when you want to pass. You want to take notes, build the watch list, think about it, right? But when most of these names are trading at 10, 20, sometimes 30 times sales, that's absurd. Be extremely rare for them to grow into these type of valuations. So right now I don't have anything for you. Not that I could tell you what to buy anyway, but that's how you want to approach it. All right. Now there's an invest stock with over 54 million downloads in our history. Thanks to you. Next up, we're going to answer another caller question. So hang on. Managing multiple mutual funds, researching professional services, where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you, we want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on Invest Talk. I wanted to get your thoughts on Best Buy. Do you think this is a good buy? I understand the environment isn't necessarily going to have an upturn right now in the economy, but for a long-term hold, a nice little dip into the consumer discretionary market in a safe company. What are your thoughts on this? Thank you. All right, looking at Best Buy, and I only have to, I have to tell you what they do. Largest pure play consumer electronics retailer in the United States. They have about 8.5% share of the U.S. consumer electronics market and north of 35% share of offline sales. And that's what's most interesting is that it's a pretty go-to place for electronics online. And they're in-store. They've turned themselves into, in a lot of ways, a real estate firm. They rent space to Apple and uh, all their different, you know, the big brands you walk into Best Buy and there's big brand names all over the place and they're rent, basically renting space. So that's, I think, a smart way to pivot in this environment, monetize their just foot traffic in general, even though people aren't going in there and spending thousands and thousands of dollars regularly like they did in the 90s. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I, so I like that. But near term, you know, the consumer bought a lot of stuff in, during the pandemic, and they're not buying physical goods nearly as much. But I like the business overall. I like that they pretty much have no debt in their balance sheet. Their return on equity is solid, mid to high 40% range. So, you know, I, this is more of a time that I would be looking to buy it. Now, technically, it remains relatively weak. So I would want it back around maybe $70 per share. It's starting to roll over again, now sitting at 81. Uh, but I like what you're looking at. I like that, I uh, like the long-term profitability of the business. And I don't think tech, I don't think the, I don't think electronics are going anywhere. All right, so I like Best Buy. Now we're heading into a break, our final breaks. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. For an 
investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations. You found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Invest Talk. Just wanted to hear your take on the, the stock IDEX Laboratories, ticker IDXX, company headquartered here in Maine, provides services for veterinarians and uh, might be looking to buy it, but just wanted to get your take on that stock. Thanks for the show. Love it. And uh, look forward to hearing your response. All right, this is IDEX Laboratories, and you're right, they develop and manufacture diagnostic products and services for the veterinarian market. And it has been a consistent grower in its business, as well as its multiple that it trades at. Now, this rolled over with a lot of the growthier names. Its uh, all-time high was up around $700 per share, and it fell at the end of last year to around $300 per share, but it's rallied so far this year, hit a high of around $560 per share, uh, but it's fallen over 10% in the past week to around 507 at the close today. And if you look at the multiples it trades at, it is quite rich. It's trading at about 12 and a half times sales. It's priced to... Free cash flow is nearly a hundred times. It's a very profitable business. But the multiples it's trading at are the epitome of what of what a growth stock would trade is tra- trading at. And it's acting a lot like the growth stock. And this is a kind of a microcosm of what you're starting to see is those growth names starting to roll over. And this is one of them. So no, I would not be touching this company for a long time. It needs to be $100 per share to 500 now. At 100 talk to me. Sounds good. Low debt, I like that. Very profitable. Return assets around 26%, which is near long-term average. And in a good business. I like the veterinarian market. But not at these multiples. Definitely name on the watch list, but absolutely passed, just egregiously overvalued still. Now, lastly, let's talk about malls. And you're starting to see some fallout here. One example is a mall in Connecticut, the Crystal Mall. It used to be bustling in the 80s and 90s. And as late as 2012, just a little over a decade ago, it was appraised at $153 million. Well, in bankruptcy, foreclosure, it's sold for only $9.5 million. And you're starting to see this. A lot of the older malls are finally going defunct. The one locally for me is uh, Laguna Hills Mall. And it's now being redeveloped. I don't even know what they're, what they're doing with it, but it's gone. And the low-end malls are worth at least 50%, in some cases more than 70% less than they were valued at the peak in 2016. That was the last peak in mall prices. Now, $14 billion of loans backed by these properties come due in the next 12 months. Sounds like a lot. It is. In the grand scheme of things of total commercial real estate debt, it's not that much. But you're going to start to see a lot more of these foreclosures. Now, about a fifth of all malls financed through commercial mortgage-backed securities are underwater. And Crystal Mall was actually owned by Simon Property Group, pretty big REIT, mall REIT that's out there. 
and they stopped making payments on the $81 million of loan of the loan that they had left and they gave back the keys. They owned it since 1999. And you're starting to see this. Uh, Moonsea Mall in Indiana has a $31 million loan. It went into foreclosure, sold for about $6 million. It was appraised for $73 million just nine years ago and fully occupied as of 2018. The Woodbridge Center, a 1.1 million square foot mall in New Jersey, it was appraised at $86 million earlier this year. That's down 76% from the last time it was appraised. That was in 2014. And so you're starting to see these, these, these like a C rated malls finally go out of business for clothes as they should have been a long time ago. And there are, there's, you're definitely seeing some reckoning in the commercial real estate market. That's why these commercial mortgage backed security market, I think is going to have some rolling issues over the next decade as the commercial real estate space reconfigures. We don't need as much retail square footage due to online shopping. We don't need much office due to work from home. And so this trend is likely to continue. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Best Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking shows success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.